Yo everyone, welcome back. Brand new tech-ish, no more repeat episodes. It's brand new content for your earpiece. Shiny, shiny and new. And it's me, Michael Bain. I am one half of Techish. I'm CEO of Pocket and Pocket Jobs, and I am joined with the better half of Techish, Abadesi. Yo, yo. Hustle crew. Hustle crew in the house. Yeah, so we just had our live show. So Yeah, that was so fun. Nah. Let's like make everyone jealous who didn't go. Yeah, because they should be. I mean, it did sell out. Oh, sorry, guys. Sold out. Waiting list as well. <laughs> to be fair, you might be listening in a city that's not London. But even if you did, you should have been flown here. You could have come on. You know. Do you not love us? I'm looking at it. What's what's the recap? What's the highlights? What's the lowlights? It was amazing. Is the highlight? Yeah. It was incredible. The vibe was incredible. The people were incredible. Seeing the faces of listeners is such a treat. Mm. I'm always just looking at your face. So <laughs> being able to see the faces of the people that listen was so fun. Um, I really enjoyed the questions, and I also loved the networking after. The networking was really, really yes, cool. yes. I think that is. I thought about that because I was like, listen, I go to so many events where mm. like you get people in the room who very rarely are in the same room together yeah and then you spend half the time just listening to people on the stage and it's like okay there's also a chance where like you can kind of mingle and network and stuff like that like and i think that has to be at the center of all these kind of events so yeah we had like at least half an hour 45 minutes networking which was dope low lights no low lights low lights what could we do better next time do you reckon i think that we should do multiple cities in a short window of time a tour yeah, some okay. kind of tour. It would be really cool to partner with someone that could make that happen. That'd be um, amazing. Either like a venue partner or just someone who's done it before. Um, but yeah, I feel like as soon as we started putting the posts out, like photos from the show, people were like, come to this city, come to my city. So I do think it would just be nice to do, you know, multiple live shows. Techish goes to the US. Let's go. Why not? Let's go. So apart from the live show, I think, can we be any more sadder? Um, you might not have got that reference because you might be too cool for that. But <laughs> Tell me. Matthew Perry, rest in peace, aka oh, Chandler Bing. Yeah. I always said that the greatest advert that didn't exist mm. was Microsoft Bing teaming up with, wow. with Matthew Perry. Why did they never do that? I don't, I think maybe he's not. Too expensive. Too ex- no, yeah, maybe he's too expensive. B, maybe he's also probably wasn't the most stable character for a long period of time. He had Fair addiction enough. issues. Yeah, brand so affinity. Brand affinity, yeah. But it would have been a great idea. Mm. Obviously, are you a Friends fan? I watched a lot of Friends as a kid. I haven't been on the train of people that have revisited it like right. in the pandemic and post-pandemic. It hasn't, it's just not as funny as it was when I watched it as a kid, but it's got a place in my heart. Okay, fair enough. How about enough. you? I am, yeah, I'm a big friend. It's still one yeah. of those comfort shows where if I'm just mm. like, I'll put it on in the background and I've yeah, seen every single Simpsons episode. For yeah. me. So are you still on the Simpsons train? I love the Simpsons. Even the recent ones. Seasons one to 10. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, because yeah. it fell off I the train. I just go through hard. the old episodes. I can quote every line. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So did you have a favorite friend's character? Which one did you resonate with the most? Do you know who I loved? Um, and I actually saw a one man show about him when I was at Edinburgh Fringe a couple of years ago, Gunther. Gunther. Got a lot of love for Gunther. Rest in peace, Gunther. He's, yeah. back. He's also passed away as well. Yeah, but he was amazing. I know I probably shouldn't be picking fringe characters. I always loved Phoebe because Phoebe's just hilarious and probably the person I felt the most similar to in a weird way. Because she just always had her like non sequiturs coming out with the random You're more lines. of a Monica though. I don't think you're more of a Phoebe. I'll be honest with you. A Monica! Oh my God. You're more of a Monica. Like, if we play like a sports game, I'm going to be like, Abedes is on the winning team. I'm on Abedes' wow. team. You're more... I think everyone everyone thinks they're a Phoebe, but they're more of a Monica, man. Let's wow. keep it real. Because okay, so... who's really that hippy-dippy? Who's really that carefree? Doesn't care about their career. Doesn't care about anything. Well, yeah, true, Used to be homeless. Like, just that, that carefree spirit she was oh, used to be homeless yeah like shout out to friends man it was a classic show obviously rest in peace Matthew Perry mm. I think he basically had you know had addiction issues for a very very long time and um never married never had kids I think sometimes success can also just be 
can never really paper over those cracks, really, if you've got those kind of deep-seated issues. Like- he had a difficult childhood as well. I was reading the New York Times obituary, and I think his parents split up when he was young. Mm. His Both of his parents ended up remarrying and having new kids with their new partners. Right. And I think he always felt like a lack of belonging and a lack of security. And um, he said in his memoir, which I haven't had a chance to read yet, that he just felt that being famous would fix him yeah it's odd because he literally did release a memoir and he passed away so soon he must have kind of yeah. i don't know if he knew on some deep level that maybe he's, he's you know he's i don't know it's hard to know maybe it's, it's not good to to do conjecture about it mm. but yeah shout out to matthew perry shout out to his family his yeah. loved ones and rest in peace uh to an actor who brought one of those iconic characters in the game yeah Chandler Bing. um so in corporate news we work has apparently uh, it's apparently facing bankruptcy next oh my week Lord. they're gonna who declare who got fired it. at SoftBank I don't know so just to give the context WeWork at one point was valued at 49 billion dollars wow it was going to go public they couldn't get it public because the deck was a joke and the, the numbers weren't looking good Um, then I think it went it went I think it crashed to 19 billion mm. at that point Adam Newman the CEO was pushed out of the company SoftBank yeah recapitalized the company and i think adam newman walked away with, with two billion dollars not bad not bad um he's working in climate tech now yeah so if you don't know who adam newman is he's basically a super eccentric israeli-american entrepreneur mm. he basically built we work in a way where there was no real tangible numbers it was all very much airy fairy of like mm. we're, we're building community yes and he is the quintessential founder who in that kind of zero percent interest rate for world was able to raise phenomenal capital amounts of capital yes to build a normal business, but frame it as a tech company True. and get astronomical valuation. Mm. Cashed out, basically. They pushed him out and said, you're, you're destroying the business. So he walked away with 2 billion. Um, but now the company is worth around 50 million. Oh, okay. That's what I've heard. Bargain bucket. So what's going on? How, w- this is a cautionary tale, really, isn't it? Of the last 10 years, isn't it? Like, this is what happens when the excess is right. You don't think so? Um, no, I mean, 100%. Like, We Crashed, which I haven't watched, watched is all about it. And it was really interesting because I remember when WeWork's S1 filing happened and the press picked it up, S1 being like the paperwork you do when you're ready to go public. Um, and the level of ridiculousness that came out of that, like various family members on six-figure salaries. Yeah, so corrupt. That were like quite unjustifiable, random job titles uh, that didn't quite make sense. And then more and more stories started to come out, you know, his insistence on walking around the office barefoot and, <sighs> you know, retreats. Hell no. And, and off-sites in far-flung exotic places. I think a lot of us were already very aware that the valuation was so reflective of the bubble, Mm. right? Like none of us could really see the real value. Like where's the intellectual property in this? Like where's the defensibility in this? Like all of the kind of like go-to hallmarks. There's no technology at all. Buildings. Of a unicorn company weren't there. Yeah. So I feel like it's not a surprise, not a surprise of the rise and fall. And as someone that used to work at Groupon, which was the world's fastest growing company ever, when the founder at the time, Andrew Mason, was on the cover of Fortune magazine. And I remember when we did our S1 filing and analysts estimated that we would trade at around $40 a share. I'm talking days after the IPO. I was watching my equity value change in real time. We were trading at about $16 dollars a share which is a lot lower than those analyst estimates it starts to make me wonder who made money out of WeWork Mm. like who really made money out of WeWork and to what extent did people play the game 
pretty well finesse the game mm -hmm. to their own advantage. Because at some point in time, people that came in early would have been able to sell on the secondary market 100%. during that super high valuation 100%. and get out pretty scot-free. But there's a reason why Adam Newman has been able to raise capital for his new companies because the people that got with him early mm -hmm. made a bunch of money. Like yeah. you said, if you are an investor, I don't know, who, was it Sequoia? I don't know. The large VC firms that invested him early they could sell in the secondary markets. Um, the company was valued at 49 billion, so that's pretty lucrative. Mm. Um, and they've got out of Dodge, and he's got out of Dodge as well, Adam Newman. Yeah. So he's made 2 billion. So there's yeah. a lot of people that made money. Yeah. SoftBank essentially is holding the bag yeah. in this situation. Masayoshi-san, I don't know if I say his name, but SoftBank's a Japanese mm. company that has a VC arm. Um, so they're the fools in the situation. Um, and then also, unfortunately, a lot of employees are left holding the bag. Well, this is the yeah, thing. Yeah, a lot of employees were promised that your equity is going to be worth this. Yeah. You're actually in a unicorn company here. Yeah. We're worth 49 billion now. Maybe we're going to be worth a trillion dollars. Like we're Apple, for example, one day. Yeah. And everywhere's going to be we this, we school, mm -hmm. we community, we that, we work, everything. So those people who put in years thinking that they were going to become millionaires mm. right now, it never, it never came to fruition because they, they only now recently went public and now it's, it's crashing the down. people that sweated away for the dream. And you know what's going to happen? This is the messed up thing about capitalism. Big players always find a way to win. Little fish always end up, you know, at the bottom of the tank. Yeah. Here's what's going to happen to WeWork. Private equity is going to buy it. Mm -hmm. Private equity is going to do their classic thing. In my head, private equity is literally like property developers for companies. Yeah. They, they buy it. They finesse it, make it nice, and then they sell it for a higher price. So yeah. I'm sure private equity is going to buy it, take it off the market, make it a little nicer, float it again, get their returns, and off they go. You know what, though? I've heard people say that actually co-working spaces just don't work as a business per se. So I don't know if that will be the case. If they can make it profitable, mm. good luck to them. I'm not mad at it. There is a need for co-working spaces. I'm yeah. not it. Like it, it is a functional product that totally. we, we do need from time to time. But can it justify, you know, a unicorn valuation? I don't know. And I doubt it. Because there's a really boring version of it. Called, is it called Regis? What's the really... Oh, Regis. I used to yeah. be in a Regis building during uh, my Groupon days, actually. So I might, they, they must have been flummoxed in the boardroom because they're like, we have the exact same product. Why is this company worth 50 billion and we're worth nothing? <laughs> like, they must have been... And they I lived know. the total sale. They outlived them. So there we go. And there's the office group. I was in a Fora office yesterday. Uh, Fora co-working space, female founder. Um, and the receptionist was telling me how they've been acquired by the office group. And I was like, oh, wow. Interesting. And I was like, I mean, people are acquiring things maybe there's going to be some consolidation i don't know i don't know who owns the office group mm. i don't know who owns regis but you know why this is why capitalism is so hard so another company which is struggling so mm. if our british audience they wouldn't know americans might not but asos which is a clothing online mm. retailer I've brand stars. yes so it's a retailer brand online brand that basically was the dominant e-commerce clothing fashion uh platform in the uk yes um i think it had launched in the u.s um, but they've been battered by mm. like Sheen or Sheehan yeah. and all this, all these kind of boohoo. like Boohoo. But I think even Boohoo has been battered by Sheehan. So oh, basically wow. okay, wow, the Shein. low cost China-based uh, clothing manufacturing platform type mm. companies have, have destroyed these, uh, you know, pre-existing retailers. Wow. And it's like capitalism is so hard because your moat doesn't last forever. No. I thought ASOS was like, yo, they're the guys. They're going to be around for the next 20 years. That would have been a solid stock pick from my perspective. Yeah. But who could have foreseen that basically you're going to get a platform where because she essentially is the manufacturer is going direct to consumer basically aren't they true yeah there's not really like because mm. asos probably buys from a company like she in terms of the manufacturers and then upsells it and then resells it to the uk market whereas she is like we're just going to go straight to yeah um the consumer bypass and we're going to sell you something for seven dollars how but can anyone compete why, with that this is why entrepreneur to entrepreneur entrepreneurs listening out there be a premium product you know yeah. i price myself um 
as a premium product. And then I challenge my team to deliver the quality of a premium product. I just feel like once you're entering at that bargain bucket level, you are in a race to the bottom. And I know fashion has healthy margins. I used to work at Amazon. Fashion was our most profitable department. Um, But even at that fast fashion, low cost phase, like, I'm sorry, ASOS did not have a defensible brand. If you not ever bought ASOS own brand, like stuff doesn't even come lined. You know what I mean? Like literally it'll fall apart after a few washes. You buy it because it's cheap. Mm. You buy it because you want that look for that day and you're never going to wear it again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just kind of think, is this is this inevitable? You know, is this inevitable for any type of product that positions itself as we want to be the product for the customers that want to spend as little money as possible? Yes. Because there's no loyalty from that type of consumer. Absolutely not. Someone who's literally just loyal to the lowest price will always go so to where it's cheapest. When you worked at Groupon, wasn't that what a lot of your kind of vendors complained about? That you Absolutely. Were, you promised them the stars, oh, we're going to get you this business. Retention. And then, and then all the customers that got that came from Groupon were the worst customers because they yeah. didn't care about brand. There's no brand loyalty. It was just about give me the cheap price and those businesses got screwed. This is absolutely it. And, you know, a big part of Groupon's success was in some ways selling a lie, right? It was this idea that this is an acquisition tool, but if you get their email addresses, build a community, um, loyalty schemes, incentives, then we guarantee that they'll stick around. But we knew that we had a community of bargain hunters and they were just hunting for the next bargain. Yeah, that's wild. You know what? Um, When I went to university, I did study business for a little bit. And like the only thing that ever stuck with me was in our strategy classes. And they Mm. talked about the only two viable strategies are a differentiation strategy where you're upscale up market premium or the low cost strategy yeah basically and you don't want to be in the middle basically Mm. because if you're in the middle you're screwed so asos was kind of in the middle there was always companies that were cheaper than asos um but they and they were never the lowest cost and now in the in a bad economic environment they're screwed yeah what brands are doing well the the balenciagas the the super exactly right they're gonna always be what do well because the rich always want to floss basically Mm. so don't get stuck in the middle either say i'm going to be the premium brand or be the low-cost provider. But most of us listening can't be the low-cost provider because you need massive not. economies of scale. You need massive Huge. investment. You need warehouses and you need factories to get that cheap price, basically. Mm, you can't be Amazon. No. So make sure that you're highly differentiated and you're premium, like you said. So yeah, shout out to ASOS. AI is eating the web as we speak. And what that means for business leaders is this. The time to embrace AI technology is now because for people like us, automation helps us do more with less while continuing to meet and exceed business expectations. It's basically magic. If you haven't tried HubSpot's new AI features, you should do that. Content Assist and ChatSpot are two brand new tools that will immediately save you and your team a whole bunch of time. HubSpot's features run on ChatGPT tech to help you make compelling content and manage your CRM way faster than before. We're talking ad copy, data analytics, workflow automations. So work smarter, not harder, and head to hubspot.com forward slash artificial dash intelligence to learn more about using AI to streamline your marketing, sales, and customer service ops. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, actually, so this is a fascinating story. Have you heard of a guy called Keith Lee? Keith Floyd, I have heard of. So Keith, Keith Lee, Lee is no. a, I think he's a former... Uh, fighter i think he's a former mma fighter but he become a food reviewer and he's got like a 14 million followers basically yeah reviewing food respect and um he has like saved businesses so he's gone to like certain restaurants and like said oh this food is great 10 out of 10 and that's made the business boom people have queued up and the restaurant game is hard restaurant game is hard but what's happened now is that he decided to do a tour of atlanta so he's u.s based okay and because he's so famous now, he has he often sends his family ahead of time to go to the restaurant okay. and see how they're treated before how he gets treated. Smart. Yes, but what's happened is is that like he has 
encountered many restaurants in Atlanta where his family is basically getting treated like shit. <gasps> they are not getting served. Oh, oh it's, a, it's an hour waiting time. Yeah. As soon as they see my man, it's like, yo, five minutes, we'll get you a table, mm, whatever, whatever, VIP. right? Yeah, so he's having these back and forth with a lot of these restaurants because he's leaving honest reviews. Has influencer culture gone too far now in a sense where like, you're not, you're, you're treating the normal people like dog shit. But mm. as soon as the influencer walks in, oh my God, like what's going on? Like, <laughs> how can we help you? And it's like, yo, just just customer service for everyone. Why have I got to have a million followers for you to rate me? Yeah, do you know what? This is such a good point because I definitely think that there's a lot of layers to this issue. I think the first one is, of course, you're always going to give extra special service to who you think is a VIP. That's mm, always been the case, right? There are times where, you know, you might have a, a critic in your restaurant or at your show and the word goes round like, okay, table seven, table seven, like be extra nice to them. I remember when I used to work in retail we always used to be warned if there was like a secret shopper coming mystery like, shopper baby mystery shopper mystery shopper like everyone you know act good like act focused yeah so i think to some degree like that's always existed where you know that there's like your average performance and what you want to pretend is your average performance when you're being inspected is mm-hmm. actually your extra special performance right. so i think there's an element of that but i think in general you know we are in late stage capitalism we are post pandemic we are you know cost of living crisis inflation whatever you want to call it and people who are often in a service services role or hospitality role are sometimes some of the most squeezed people. Mm. So there's not a huge amount of like motivation and enthusiasm, I think, in a lot of those roles. Like right. a lot of people in hospitality, if that is their first job, they're like probably like super drained, like yeah, working yeah. overtime. And if it's their second job because they're like a aspiring XYZ, then they're probably like not super motivated. So I don't know. I think it's like a really hard one. Like I, of course, always want to get the best customer service. Here in the UK, sometimes I miss US customer service. Yeah. Like the fact that people are working for their personal tip, not something that they're going to share. I always really like feeling special as a customer. And I appreciate that that's not always the case in every restaurant. But in general, customer service in the US feels very different to customer service. So you're saying the customer service in the US is better primarily because they're incentivized for tips basically versus I just feel like here sometimes in not. the UK you walk into a restaurant especially like in like whatever cool areas where I hang out you don't even know who works there no one gives a like, shit like everyone's literally <laughs> just like dressed the same like customer yeah. staff I'm like who actually is that guy in the tattoos and the beanie does he work here I don't yeah. even know who works here and then when you finally get someone's attention it's just like they don't even want what to look want? at you let alone talk to you and then as soon as the food comes out it's like they're dropping the plate and they're running away before you go excuse, excuse me excuse me yeah. oh we still don't have cutlery oh no that's cool we'll just wait so I don't know I do I do sometimes miss that American customer service even if it's saccharine even if it's, if it's inauthentic at least I can like participate in the fantasy that I'm special. Okay, fair enough. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know what? I think cost businesses should treat everyone like they've got a million followers because you just don't okay. know who does. If I had a restaurant, because right now I mentioned a person to you who's got 14 million followers. You've yeah. never ever heard of him. No. If I showed you a picture, you wouldn't know who he is. Mm. And there's right now, there's so many micro famous people who have like mm. a million followers, two million followers that you wouldn't yeah. recognize. So as a business owner, just assume that everyone could be someone of notoriety yeah. right now because it's not as if like we live in a world where there's that like, macro famous person who yeah. everyone knows now, apart from like Taylor Swift and Beyonce and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, be on, be on your P's and Q's and just treat everyone like they could, they could they could shut you down. But here's the thing. I bet the owner of that business asks his team to treat everyone like they're a VIP. 
Right? Possibly. I mean, I and think this is I think, where processes fail us, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are listening probably are managers or are business owners who have teams and they can't be there all the time and they can't watch all the time. And, you know, one of the things that I became obsessed with this year working on Hustle Crew was like our processes because I was like, I can't always be in the room when training is happening, but I want to feel like everyone is bringing the same energy and commitment to the training as if I were there, as if I were doing it. And I think the only way that you can guarantee that is if you you have processes that make people feel accountable or if you're collecting the feedback and collecting the data like yeah. in my company I, if you don't get 80 percent of respondents to complete data then i will assume that everyone who didn't give feedback rated you zero and that yeah. will be your score but it's you hard know, it's so, as a business owner it's so difficult because um charlie munger warren buffett's business partner says show me the incentive i'll show you the result I like that. and like sometimes we're sitting here thinking thinking why won't you be as enthusiastic as me my employee like it's like they're not incentivized to one in the same way that you are as the owner of the company so what are the incentives that we can put around it so that you have that same desire to like follow up on those leads like i would yeah basically right um obviously once you have the incentive sorted out and it's still not performing obviously then there's a really there's a really big macro issue yeah but i think we've got to stop hoping that like you know everyone's gonna be super enthusiastic for our little company it's got to be like yo why should you care do you get what I'm saying? And that's that's what I struggled with as a business owner to make sure that everyone is the kind of thing because incentives are dangerous because you can incentivize for the wrong thing. Oh, definitely. So for example, like, as a, for my platform, I tell my team like as a job board, we need to make sure there's lots of applications basically for our, for our partners. So what is that incentive? If I say to them, you get a bonus if we get lots of applications, mm -hmm. what they're going to do is just say like, let's just get anyone on the platform. Yeah. Who the hell cares basically, right? And then I have to be like, okay, no, it has to be applications, but quality applications. Yeah. So, so you, you figure it out as you go along. Um, so yeah. a better metric would be matches, successful exactly. matches. Exactly, there we go. But yeah, shout out to Charlie Mungo. Uh, that's been this week's Techish. Hit us up at, at Techish Pod. Yes. Um, you can find Abba's and my, and my work uh, all in the show notes. See you there. Bye, bye, bye. bye.